You mean to tell me you've called me three light years off my course just to accuse an actor of being Kodos? He is Kodos. I'm sure of it. Kodos is dead. Is he? Is anyone sure? A body burned beyond recognition? Tom, the authorities closed the book on that case years ago. Then let's reopen it. Jim, 4,000 people were butchered. Kodos is dead. I'm satisfied with that. Well, I'm not. I remember him. That voice. A bloody thing he did. Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series Star Trek Discovery. How is everybody? I'm Clarence, and today we're going to be talking about the second Star Trek Discovery novel, Drastic Measures, as well as the tie in episode. <laughs> Sounds funny to say tie in episode for a 50 year old TOS episode, but the tie in episode, The Conscious of the King, from season one, episode 13 of the original series. But first guys, what we do here on this podcast is review each episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek guys, if you like this show and you want to show your support first and foremost, please subscribe to our feed, but also uh, check us out on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash discussing Trek, feel free to Follow us there. You can follow. And if you want to do a little bit more, uh, chip in the dollar a month. Uh, That's all we ask for anybody that loves the show and wants to support it as far as server costs, etc. Please check it out there and uh, show a little love. So, guys, before we get into our review of Drastic Measures slash The Conscience of the King, uh, first, I want to talk a little Star Trek news. So first, what, what have you guys been up to? What what have you uh, been interested in in the Star Trek world uh, over the past few weeks? Now, I know that there have been some things that have come out that I'm going to briefly talk about in the news. First, we have the, the William Shatner memoir that came out, Live Long and dot, dot, dot. <laughs> what I learned along the way uh, with Ghost Rider David Fisher. Um, so, yeah, William Shatner has another book. And, um, you know, this one is pretty interesting. He goes, I have not read the book, but he did an interview on Star Trek dot com, which you can go and check out. And he talks about a lot of the things that he's done as far as his albums, you know, the country music album, upcoming an upcoming Christmas album, uh, as well as, of course, some things from his time on the show and life, you know, things that he's learned along the way. Uh, but one point that I found really interesting uh, in the interview that Star Trek dot com did with him. Um, <laughs> this is one thing in the interview that really jumped out at me. Um, he was asked a question. Is there anything that James T. Kirk did that you simply could not or would not have done? And he gave pretty much the perfect, the perfect, the perfect answer. I loved uh, his response, which was Kirk question mark. He kissed an awful lot of ladies. <laughs> I'm not sure in the Me Too generation that would be allowed. So there we have it. The um, 
the international James, well, <laughs> international, the intergalactic James Bond himself, um, uh, taking the, the side of the Me Too movement and saying, you know, uh, Kirk was a player. Kirk was a player, which, <laughs> I mean, that plays right into our review of the conscience of the king, where he pretty much just, um, befriends the, the daughter of Adrian Kodos, Anton Caridian. Um, and yeah, just kind of sweeps her off her feet with, with a little fanfare, but he, he, he's, he's definitely, Kirk was definitely the player back in the day. So yeah, um, pretty profound for him to make that statement. You know, he kissed an awful lot of ladies. I'm not sure in the Me Too generation that would be allowed. So there you have it. Um, yeah, so you can check out that article again at StarTrek.com. Also, uh, some more news that I wanted to briefly talk about. Apparently, Chris Pine is still hopeful for Star Trek Four. Now, we know that Chris Pine, along with Chris Hemsworth, have been holding out for more money, for more money uh, to do this next Star Trek film, Star Trek Four. And while at the Toronto International Film Festival, Chris Pine was asked a question uh, by a variety reporter and he made the statement. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to be involved and we'll see what happens. And I'll wait the phone call until then. I'll look forward to it. Now, I don't know if that in uh, quote, I don't know if that's just him being hopeful or him saying, I ain't coming back until you give me more money. That's what it sounds like to me. But they stated on Trek today, they kind of make the statement that he's hopeful. So is he? What do you guys think? Do, you, do can, To go back to Carrie's, Kyle and John's, uh, our conversation we had along with Jeremy, like, do we think a, or do you think, let me know, do you think we can have a Star Trek movie without Kirk in the TOS era? Is that possible? What are the story possibilities that can happen if you don't have your captain? Could it be a more fun and, and um, could it be a more fun adventure without him? Uh, and what would be the excuse that he's not there and the rest of the cast of characters are? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Um, stay tuned. And finally, in the news, guys, um, the Star Trek Discovery cast um, teased some juicy tidbits for season two and Spock. This, again, as reported by TrekMovie.com. They were at the Fan Expo, or the cast was at the Fan Expo in Canada, and they were talking a bit about the upcoming season and 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 things they are excited about. And and Martin Green, Sonequa Martin Green, uh, teased uh, pre- a rather again juicy storyline for season two. In her words, um, it's incredible. I think it is genius to have us be set where we're ten years before TOS and have Burnham be connected to that institution, which is the family of Sarek and Amanda and Spock. I am so appreciative of it. I'm so full. It is wrought with everything. I end up being two degrees separated from Captain Pike. And that is really interesting, too, to be able to have that sort of connection to canon. I really love it. One of the things we're doing on Star Trek Discovery is being our own thing, but also keeping that connection with the canon and having that connective tissue. So I really appreciate it. And it's juicy, (laughs) in quote, in her words. So she once again, as Maybe I guess the showrunners, uh, Alex Kurtzman at, at um, San Diego Comic-Con have teased that this season is going to tie in a lot of canon lines. And that makes me think of the whole point that that this season 
is slated to tie in with canon as much as possible. It's supposed to rectify a lot of the issues that people have had. Now, I uh, listen to this or I guess view this YouTube channel called Trek Yards, where they talk about <laughs> and actually the host and I forget his name, but but he he raised a question um, about people using the STD acronym uh, for discovery, sort of, sort of as a a, a, a a smirk or a a dig toward the show, just to be kind of um, you know funny and playful, as well as demeaning to the show. Uh, that is our former show title. So, uh, <laughs> but we were not intending that. We just thought it was fun. But but he made a good point, and a point I, that he made that I want to kind of iterate iterate here. Um, in his mind, in his mind is that now we have three separate timelines and he was very adamant on this. He said that we have the prime timeline, which is the one we all know and love starting back in the sixties to then the voyage of course, including the, the movies pre pre uh, Abrams verse. And then we have the, the, the Kelvin or the Abrams verse universe, which, you know, goes off in his own direction while keeping some of the ties and the things we know and love from the uh, original uh, Canon prime timeline. But he also posed another timeline, and I, this is really interesting, and I want to hear you guys' feedback on this. He also said that we have an additional timeline since we have Star Trek Discovery, and he is calling it the Disco Verse. Now, I don't know if he coined this or he got it from somewhere else. It's probably out there on the interwebs that I just haven't seen or heard or really paid attention to. But are we now firmly in the Disco Verse? Is there no way to right the ship? Is there no way to clear up the canon issues? Are we so far off that we just can't rectify what's going on? And, you know, he has a valid point. Maybe we can't. And, you know, we're going from a time where things were in the 60s were cardboard sets. You know, this was the 60s, very low budget. And now with all the possibilities, of what we can do with CG, um, computer graphics or whatever, it's not going to look the same. So I want to know, is the argument that it is visually not in line or is the argument more that it is story wise not in line? And which of the two are you okay with being off? We already know visually is way off, is way off. And, you know, again, those were cardboard wooden sets back in the 60s. There's no way you can get back to that. There's no way that we can really present that on screen and have it maybe in this day and age be interesting and acceptable um, by a newer audience. And really, isn't that who you're really trying to get in? Push the show further for a newer audience. You know, the people who loved it back then are still going to watch. They're diehard Trek fans. But how do you reimagine the show for a newer audience while keeping hold to those things that, you know, made the show what it was? And is, is our issue the visual upgrades or the the minor differences in a story that we didn't really know about. So I guess that's part of my question. And we're going to go ahead and get into the review of drastic measures. We'll go ahead and drop that spoiler bumper right here. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. So here we are, guys, here for our review of the second novel of the Star Trek Discovery series, Drastic Measures, 
which talks about this horrific event that that happened 20 years prior to the events of Star Trek TOS and 10 years prior to the events of Star Trek Discovery. So I'll go ahead and read for you. And, 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 and this episode has a direct, direct, direct tie in to a 50 year old episode called The Conscious of a King, which for for my money is an excellent excellent TOS episode. You can watch it not knowing anything about this book. Of course, it's 50 years old. And it's just, to me, in my opinion, a wonderful episode. Now, that episode, as well as this book, is enriched by each other. Both of these guys help each other be a little bit more richer. And that's fantastic, knowing that the episode was, again, 50 years old. So, what is Drastic Measures? Again, it's the second Star Trek Discovery novel written by Dayton Ward, which came out in February 2018. So the back of the book, the, the, the jacket, the back of the jacket reads, it is 2246, 10 years prior to the Battle of the Binary Stars, and an aggressive contagion is ravaging the food supplies on remote Federation colony Tarsus IV and the 8,000 who call it home. The stress signals have been sent but any meaningful assistance is weeks away. Lieutenant Commander Gabriel Lorca and a small team assigned to a Starfleet monitoring outpost are caught up in the escalating crisis and bear witness as the colony's governor, Adrian Kodos, employs an unimaginable solution in order to prevent mass starvation. While awaiting on her next assignment, Commander Philippa Giorgio is tasked with leading to Tarsus IV, a small, hastily assembled group of first responders. It's hoped this advanced party can help stabilize the situation until more aid arrives. But Giorgio and her team discover that they're too late. Adrian Kodos has already implemented his heinous strategy for extending the colony's besieged food stores and safeguarding the community's long-term survival. In the midst of their rescue, Giorgio and Lorca must now hunt for the architect of this horrific tragedy and the man whom history will one day brand Kodos, the executioner. So, guys, again, I really can't recommend which one of these you should see first. The Conscious of the King or read the book Drastic Measures. Probably I would say watch the show first because, you know, the main premise of the show already. You have this max execution uh, executed by Kodos executioner, Adrian Kodos. And, you know, I would probably say watch the episode because honestly, I got halfway through the book and I didn't had no idea these were tied in. Then I got to this point in the book (laughs) where this young lad was running through the halls on the colony of Tarsus for and the medical medical facility, in, in fact, and um, he was called and the young last name was James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, he was about, he was about what, 12, 13. I can't remember exactly, but James C. Kirk is in the book. And at that point, I said, oh, crap, does this tie into something in TOS? And I looked up the episode and I watched the episode and I came back. And I have to say, up until that point, the book was a little bit meandering to me. I was interested, but not sold completely. So having gone and watched the episode and then come back to the book. Oh man. Oh man. Really good. Really good. And and, and it, it's, it's kind of hard to say spoiler because we know how the book ends. We know how it ends. And we get this revelation that at the end of the book, what the Federation people, George Lorca, Captain Corapati, the rest of the people that are Federation involved in this think one thing, but in Star Trek timeline, 20 years later 
in the TOS era, we find out it is not the resolution that they thought. And even there's a last two chapters to this book, which kind of gives us that spoiler or gives us that revelation, even though the people in the book don't know till, you know, again, till the TOS era. And we also get a real cool nugget, a really good nugget for Gabriel Orca that directly ties into Star Trek Discovery. So how, how do we talk about this book again? Something, an, an episode that aired on television 50 years ago. So I will try to hit the high points. And this is not going to be a long review because, I mean, it's pretty laid out and established, but I'll try to dive into some things that maybe I can talk about a little bit and dive into. But it's this is not going to be a long review. It's just me. So here we go. So first off, the way the story is told, that is something to that was kind of distracting to me at first. And I don't know how I feel as a reader reading about somebody writing these events and going back and waffling back and forth. It's sort of like, um, what's the movie? I'm going to give a bad example of a movie I've never seen, but I know it does this. The Notebook. <laughs> or there's plenty of other movies that do it where the person is talking about the event that happened and they kind of go back and forth between them talking and then the actual event itself. I think and in the book, it does it a little bit different because it's a series of interviews, interviews from the survivors of the event on Tarsus Four, And it goes from these interviews and kind of waffles back and forth. But you stay mostly in that time period. But every so often we'll get the beginning of a chapter and we're back talking to a prisoner or somebody that was a part of the of Kodos's group. Um, that, that, you know, contributed to this, or we talked to Giorgio at the end. Um, but, but we keep going kind of back and fo- forth. And who tells the story? The story is told, the inner story is written by Shannon Moulton. And this kind of feels like, this kind of feels like Inception or whatever. We're, we're going into a book where we're talking about somebody making or writing a book. But, but in, anyway, be that as it may, um, the story is, t- is written by through a course of interviews, Shannon Molten, which we find out from the course of the story that she is actually a survivor of the Tarsus Corp for massacre. And she, through the course of the story, befriends um, Captain Philippa Giorgio, as well as gives her a, a doll, which we find out at the end that 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 Philippa Giorgio keeps. And when she gets this, this has this conversation with her after the book has been written, Giorgio, she pulls it from a compartment in her rating room, showing that she still has it because it means something to her. So that's the connection to the book writer and the events and uh, Captain George, uh, Captain Philippa Giorgio, which uh, Lieutenant Commander Giorgio in this book uh, up until the end. But but be that as it may, let's let's go ahead and get to the nuts and nuts and bolts about what actually happened. So we kind of got it up top. There was this massacre, uh, Kodos the Executioner, and this is all about the telling of that story. So why are we having this food crisis on Tarsus Four? Now it occurred to me that I I I guess I had to go back and research because I didn't remember. But apparently in the TOS era we had food synthesizers and not just straight on replicators, which weren't around to the the next generation era. I don't know why that totally skipped me when I started reading this book. But at first I was like, nope, we have replicators, but no. And this time, food synthesizers, which I guess aren't true replicators. And even in the Enterprise era, you had I think at some point we had protein synthesizers. Oh, uh, and um. So we don't have true replicators 
in this era. And that's a very important point, which I still wish I kind of would have pointed it out in the book because anybody reading this and they weren't really a TOS era fan, uh, I guess you can g- gather it from the show, but it, it, from from Discovery. But yeah, maybe they should have mentioned that we didn't really have true on replicators. But again, food food crisis on Tarsus Four, huge food food crisis. Tarsus Four was made up of a group of people who were, I guess, more so tired of the luxuries of a, a federation of a, a federation existence. And they wanted to branch out and live sort of like the people on the wide west did, you know, build their own houses, pull themselves, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, so to speak. And, you know, that was kind of their experience, grew all their food on their own Tarsus 4. Um, there's mention in the book about and I forget who it was exactly, but mentioning uh, about wanting to grow his own apples and how they didn't taste like anything else. But be that as it may, the Tarsus for it was about 2000 people. And then you had this cri- this this other crisis <laughs> before we get to the food crisis. There was this other crisis on um, Epsilon Serona 2, where. And it's it listed. It says a natural natural disaster, which forced them out. But there was this disaster on Epsilon Serona two, Serona two which brought six thousand of those colonists from the region over to Tarsus Four. So here's the situation: it goes from a two thousand people or colonists colony to eight thousand uh, pretty quickly. And Governor Ribeiro was part of the 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 uh, establishment that tried to get the people to accept this. Again, they really didn't want these colonists coming over, but it was the right thing to do because there were people in need. So there, I guess I said all that to get to the point of how the food got ravished. So apparently the food supply was ravaged due to a fungal infection by seeds um, or, or produce uh, seeds being transported from this one this one planet Epsilon Serona two over to Tarsus four. So the in- introduction of non vetted <laughs> plant life that grew in one environment and being pulled over to this new environment caused some really, really huge problems, which we know since that they um, in the Star Trek universe have started checking for this. And then due to this event, you know, it, it pretty much is checked at every point uh, from now on from here. But anyway, this fungal infection, this fungal infection ravages the food crops. It spreads like wildfire. It even goes into the machines. So they are forced to uh, quarantine a certain amount of food supply awaiting and burn all crops awaiting help from Federation. And that's where we get into the crux of the matter. Um, not a lot of food, not a lot of time, 8,000 people, 8,000 colonists. How do you get past that? What do you do? There's some hard choices that have to be made. Is, is one life worth more than the other? So Governor Ribeiro, which, which was the current governor when this outbreak began, was deemed unfit and we see where this other person, this little known guy, uh, Adrian Kodos, came in and was elected as governor somehow. And he started to make these 
harsh, harsh decisions. So before getting into those harsh decisions that uh, Kodos made, let's get into what the Starfleet people are doing. So Captain Philip Giorgio is a part is assigned to the Narbonne and to help with the release efforts on Tarsus four. So she's on a ship, the Narbonne headed that way. And, um, along with Captain Cora Potty, which, um, you know, Giorgio respects because she know he's a seasoned, real respected captain and, and, and Com- Lieutenant Commander Lorca, Gabriel Lorca, a part of a Federation outpost that is established on Tarsus four. And, um, yeah, so the story starts or, or with with that Federation outpost being raided by Kodos's men, being raided by his men and 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 people on Lorca's team being killed. So uh, Lorca's at high alert. They get out of the situation and, and eventually we learn that Lorca has a girlfriend. <laughs> get that. Yeah. Lorca has a girlfriend. Uh, Belena Ferrosini, Belena Ferrosini, Lorca's girlfriend. Um, which after they have this break in at the Federation outpost, they Starfleet people are kind of laying low to kind of see what's going on. And they see where a bunch of people are headed to this atrium. The bunch of people are headed to this atrium. And Lorca remembers that Belena mentioned that she'd be attending this, this event. So um, Lorca and a few of his team uh, choose to hide out in her apartment until she gets back. But to Lorca's horror and pretty much the rest of Starfleet and the four thousand other 4,000 survivors, uh, Belena isn't coming back because Kodos, Adrian Kodos, has other plans to solve this situation, this hunger epidemic, this fungal infection that has ravages their food supplies. He has different plans, and his plan is to cut the colony in half. Let's get rid of 4,000 people in one foul swoop and and that will solve the problem and that's pretty much the premise for the rest of the book and also for the 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 tv show that happened 50 years ago the conscience of the king so yeah he he loses his dear uh belena as well as the other four thousand colonists that were seen as expendable you know who knows how adrian kodos chose these four thousand this was his ultimate plan to get rid of half the colonists at one time and lo and behold, we find out later, again, I mentioned Kirk is tied into this. Kirk um, was part of um, people. Kirk was actually in the atrium at the time this massacre occurred, as well as his friend, Thomas Layton, um, were actually in the auditorium. Now, we find out in in in, in the, con- the Conscious of a King, which we don't find out in the book, they were actually seven other people who were privy to this event or saw this event happen and can actually identify Kodos. Now, I don't know if that means all of them were at the actual event or they're just people who knew Kodos and knew and were a part of his team who who actually knew who were, who he was or maybe an old friend or something like that. But Kirk witnessed this event as a young lad. So, um, it's definitely one of the events that shaped Kirk. So that's kind of why this story is super important too. Um, not only for, you know, uh, never forget this massacre by this crazy individual, but you know, it kind of shaped Kirk going forward, even though we only see him for, you know, part of one chapter in the book itself. Uh, it definitely shapes this episode that, you know, happens 20 years later 
in, in, in the TOS timeline. But from there, what, what, what happens from there that we have to be focused on? So we know Giorgio is helping in the release, relief efforts. And honestly, her role in the book um, is very minimal. She's there to witness events. She has an important interaction with Kirk, who she sees is potential command <laughs> Starfleet command uh, 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 material from the get go. Because we learned that Kirk, uh, having seen Kodos at the ex- mass execution, we we know that Kirk is trying to find a picture of him uh, to hunt him down, to to contribute to hunting him down, and Kirk. Being smart, and we know Lor- Lorca has already done this. He Lorca could not find any picture of Kodos because he searched computers. But we learned that Kirk has went in there, and smart little individual that he is, has said, "Oh, Kodos may have had friends." So he cross references the pictures of his friends and finds a picture of Kodos. So this little kid is smart, and also he kind of hacked into the system with knowledge he obtained from being uh, friends with. With, with Thomas Layton, who we learned whose half of his face has been pretty much messed up uh, by a phaser fire from, you know, one of Kodos's guards finding them at the event and trying to kill him. So, I mean, just just real pivotal in, in Kirk's life going forward. We even get mention of um, why Nona and Kirk's brother as well as Kirk's dad. So we get mention of that in the book. So, again, as far as Giorgio's Philippa Giorgio's story in the book. Uh, again, this connection to the writer Shannon Moulton. Uh, she makes a she makes contact with Kirk. We she see her leading relief efforts. Uh, but other than that, she doesn't do a whole lot. She does make one rescue at the end. Um, well, uh, uh, of of two of her team members, uh, Beta Zoid, and I forget the name of the other person. But she makes this rescue to where this shuttle was trying to take off and kidnap these these uh, Federation team members. And she beams aboard the shuttle and takes it down and lands it successfully with the help of a, a ground crew computer hacker. So that was pretty exciting, pretty cool. But other than that, and, and again, being tied in with the writer and kind of being the teller of the inner story on some points in the book, um, that's pretty much her, her whole arc in the book. But definitely a lot of good interaction moments, a lot of good information and backstory. So I do re- recommending still reading the book to get some of those interactions and nuanced things that 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 we learned from from Philippa Giorgio. So I know I mentioned I kind of brushed over, actually, Lorca's girlfriend, uh, Belena, being killed from Star Trek Discovery. We know we know what type of man the mirror Lorca is. We know what type of guy he is. Very hard, very uh, rough, very, you know, no holes barred. I'm going to get ish done type of guy. Uh, the prom Lorca isn't too different. <laughs> he isn't too different. Um, of course, we see where he ha- we see a different side of him with him being having a girlfriend and we know he's in love with her. We even hear where he ponders leaving Starfleet to go, you know, off on a planet with her and, and just be with her. And it's changed him. He's a different guy because of her. I mean, maybe the first true love of his life. Maybe, maybe I don't know, but maybe. And it's obvious from the book that, Elena changes Lorca immensely. And think of that when you think of Lorca's rage 
when he witnesses on a view view screen from Belana's apartment with the rest of his team there awaiting Belana's return that she won't be coming back that Adrian Kodos has taken drastic measures to for the survival of this colony you know how does history view that well I know how Lorca's going to view it Lorca wants Kodos he wants Kodos and can anyone blame him I mean, we see where points in the book where 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 Philip and Giorgio has a kind of and they do meet. They do meet. They have several interactions, which are pretty cool in the book. But 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 Giorgio has to kind of be uh, the voice of reason for him. I mean, she's his commander and our superior officer. And she has to kind of uh, temper the beast, so to speak. She has to kind of uh, uh, calm him down because. Lorca, after seeing, you know, Atrium of 4000, he didn't see the face of his his um his girlfriend when she died. But knowing that she was in that group and died at that point at the hands of Adrian Kodos, it changes Lorca. So you have these two events. You have you have Belena changing Lorca for the better. And you have this event, this massacre by Adrian Kodos taking Lorca to a very, very dark place, which I'm quite frankly, I don't think he ever comes out of. I guess we might see that in Star Trek Discovery Season 2 if Prime Lorca makes a return, if he makes a return. But we do get a chapter at the end which kind of tells us where he is. <laughs> so, if he makes a return. But yeah, yeah, this is this is kind of what takes Lorca down that dark ro- road. Excuse me. And this is Prime Lorca. This is Prime Lorca going down this dark road because of this event. So, um, again, at the atrium, uh, Kodos pulls in these 4,000, has his guards all around in the stands. He has the people in the main part of the atrium and 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 just massacre, massacre, mass, massive energy blast, which just kills everyone. I mean, there's <laughs> I'm telling you nothing left but burn marks. He just decimates the 4,000 and he is gone. So what? And and what makes it even worse is the speech he gave. He actually gave a speech when he did this, this, this atrocious thing. And let me see if I can find it. Let me read that for you guys. And actually in the conscience of a king, we hear, um, we hear Anton, Anton Caridian say the same words, see same words as Kirk tries to hunt him down as Kirk tries to find out who he is. And part of speech is this. The revolution is successful, but survival depends on drastic measures. Your continued existence represents a threat to the well-being of society. Your lives mean slow death to the more valued members of the colony. Therefore, I have no alternative but to sentence you to death. Your execution is so ordered, signed Kodos, governor of Tarsus IV. And again, from from that point on, I mean, Lorca is on a mission, on a mission. And I guess we can go ahead and wrap this up because, <laughs> you know, part of it is is uh, Giorgio relief efforts, which I kind of explained a little bit. And the other part is Lorca on this relentless, this freaking relentless hunt to track down Adrian Kodos, which which ends up him, 
you know, through the help of some of Kodos's lackeys who he finds and kind of coerces into helping him finding the hideout of Kodos, which is in the mountain somewhere um, through these series of caves, which Lorca and team eventually find and find Kodos, which, you know, to Kodos's credit, he has planted these charges all throughout the caves where he can choose which detonations to fire off as he makes his escape. And this is, or does he make his escape? I guess we know because we, he was in a TOS episode 50 years ago, but he makes his escape. But do our, do our discovery crew or do the other people of that generation know? They don't know. They think he's dead because the series of explosions wind up blowing up a tunnel and they find a body that for all intents and purposes matches uh, the identity of Adrian Kodos, or at least what they can decipher from this burnt corpse. So, yeah. So how, how did Kodos pull it off? How did he pull it off? Well, we find as <laughs> we see where Adrian Kodos is actually leaving the planet many weeks later, um, at having been able to uh, get back into society and since nobody knows how the guy looks, he was very protective of his looks and only had a small trusted group in his circle. So very few people, the nine, I guess, very few people knew what he actually looked like. On top of that, pretty much anybody who did know what he looked like would be in custody other than, you know, Kirk, uh, Thomas Layton and a few other people, a very uh, which we learned from T.O.S. Riley, a few other people that knew what he looked like. And Kodos, man, this guy's smart, which we see is also a a a very, very, very stark. Oh, stark is the wrong word. A very, very, very um fanatic of 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 Shakespeare. <laughs> Cause we see as he leaves in a shuttle from Tarsus 4 that he has a book is the only possession he has kept hold of of Shakespeare's works. And, you know, again, Kodos is smart. So how did he get away? How did he get away? Well, first of all, again, like I said, very few people knew what he looked like. And secondly, and maybe more importantly, he painstakingly removed any images of him that may have been in the computer systems. As we talked about before, Kurt trying to track down a picture of him, which, which nobody could find. And not only that, the fact that the fact that he switched records, he switched records with his right hand guy, his right hand man. He switched dental. He switched physical records with the guy. So in case he did get, you know, trying to make this escape, he would either hopefully that is right hand man. And I forget the guy's name. Hopefully he would die or Kodos would have to kill him in order to escape. That's how ruthless this guy was. So he 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 uh switched medical records with this guy, and that was his ultimate plan to get away. So as you see, Kodos was several chess moves ahead um when planning when planning this thing out. So yeah, um Lorca still not happy with with just seeing this burnt body um as you know kind of the resolution of this. But, you know, we get this chapter later where, we okay, we see Kodos makes his escape. And this uh, chapter about the, you know, again, the writing of the book and, you know, Lorca kind of dealing with what's going on. And that's 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 pretty much that's pretty much the book. 
That is pretty much the book. And, and I know I brushed over a lot of things, but that's just the basic premise. So Kodos gets away. Lorca is still trying to deal with this struggle of 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 seeing Belena um, or knowing that Belena was killed in this massacre. And not only that, the people of Tarsus for dealing with this massacre of half of his population. Uh, we have an event that has changed Kirk. We have an event that shapes Giorgio. And, you know, just an event that is kind of one of those pivotal events in, in, in Star Trek history. So that was this book, Jurassic, Jurassic Measures. Also, um, <laughs> as we see at the end of the book, again, once that 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 um, that that Shannon Moulton is writing his book, she's talking to George O. They talk about where Lorca is, what he's doing. She mentions that she didn't interview Lorca for the book. He declined, or at least he was told by Starfleet officials that he declined. Uh, and again, this is back to our in uh, uh, this is back to a year before the events of discovery. So we fast forward 10 years. So the book is written 10 years afterwards. And, and of course, Shannon Moulton goes from a little girl to being, you know, a teen uh, in her twenties or, or maybe even thirties at this point, thirties, 20 years, thirties, she'd be in her thirties or late twenties. But we found out where, where she's written this book. She didn't get to interview Lorca because, uh, because she was told he declined. But in the very last chapter of the book, <laughs> something that ties in directly with our discovery people, we find out that, that Lorca has uh, that event that put him in the the mirror universe happens and we get where Lorca kind of wakes up to being in the cell and everything is slightly off. So we get the indication that we don't find out exactly how, which I do think we find out in, in um we find out in, in Discovery Prime what happens. All right, gets switched. But this actually gives us a taste of our prime Lorca being in the mirror universe and we know he's there. So and he's caught. He's in a cell. So maybe this is what what Mirror Lorca saw. Uh, maybe even killed him. We didn't we don't get that far. But we know this is what Mirror Lorca maybe have ha, saw that 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 gave him the idea to leave and go to 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 the prime universe or maybe even getting 10 bits from from our Lorca. Or the prime Lorca. So that's very interesting. I would definitely say even read the last chapter because it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool seeing, seeing prime Lorca in the mirror universe. So that's the book. So let's kind of get into what happens in the TOS episode, The Conscious of the King. While Captain Kirk investigates whether an actor is actually a presumed dead mass murderer, a mysterious assailant is killing people who could identify the fugitive. So again, we're in Kirk's time. We're in TOS era. This is 20 years after the events. And we see where this traveling theater, this traveling theater, uh, Kirk has been called to view this traveling theater by one of his friends on false pretenses, his friend Thomas Layton, who believes one of the actors in this traveling theater is Adrian Kodos. Now we find out from the the book that we we know that 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 Kodos has an interest in Shakespearean theater. We know that, and it's played out in this episode because he's in this traveling theater. We also know he has a 19 year old daughter. So in this time, having just left uh, Tarsus for, I guess he has a daughter at some point, and and his daughter is there. Yeah. So his daughter Lenore. <laughs> Oh, man. And himself are are traveling uh, in this theater. And we find out from 
Layton, that that Thomas Layton, which is the guy from the book who who um, is Kirk's friend, which you find, which I said before, half of his face got messed up due to phaser discharge. Um, suspects this guy, this uh, Anton Caridian, as being Adrian Kodos, and he lures Kirk there under false pretenses. Layton does in order for Kirk to see this guy. And, and and kind of evaluate whether this is Kodos. Now, Layton is sure of it. He is freaking sure of it. Another cool thing we found out Layton has been working in food research. You know, we know the events of that led to the 4000 massacre. Uh, we learned that Layton is, is working on food research that could advance food technology. So I think that's cool uh, that he's doing that and that could prevent fungal infection going forward. So he's 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 been doing that ever since. Uh, because this has become a mission for him because it's such a pivotal event. But again, he sees this guy in his traveling theater, which he thinks is Adrian Kodos. So what happens? What happens? Kirk doesn't want to believe it. Kirk does his computer thing, does some cross referencing on, on pictures, events. He learns that this guy named Anton Caridian has has no history prior to 20 years ago. So there's all these things pointing that this guy is Adrian Kodos, but still Kirk thinks he has to be sure. So what does he, what does he do? This transport that is taking this traveling theater around, he calls in the favors to the, to the captain of that transport to say they can't pick him up. So they have to be hauled along by the enterprise. Uh, <laughs> and, and all the while we see where Kirk goes down and, and, um, and befriend Lenore in a very Kirkish way, uh, in a galactic James Bond. And, 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 um, he befriends her and, you know, Kirk does what Kirk do. And, and, you know, he, he puts the moves on her and, and he has her favor. And, you know, Kirk is obviously kind of using her to get and <laughs> Anton Caridian on the enterprise. He is gaining her favor. But I mean, from that point, um, he is still very, very skeptical, highly skeptical that this is Adrian Kodos. And we find out where Caridian doesn't even do interviews or meet with fans. He is very hidden, which is another thing that could lead to him possibly being Adrian Kodos. And in the midst of all of this, Thomas Layton is killed on the planet. And Kirk, in his research, finds out that other people that actually saw the face of Kodos are turning up dead. So Kirk invites the party on his ship because their transport has been, you know, said they can't take them because of what Kirk did. And they are on the Enterprise as a good gesture. They offer to do a performance while they're on the ship. So um, I won't belabor it, but 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 just let me get right into it. Um, Kirk suspects what's going on. Spock is is so Mr. Spock is so smart. He figures out what's going on, does very various cross references of the people that were recently killed, uh, as well as uh, Kirk's offhand reassignment of Riley to um, engineering from communications to engineering. And this is the part I have an issue with. So Riley is one of the one of the nine survivors. Him and Kirk are, are, pre, are the only two on the ship that are one of the nine. Kirk pretty much what I think, and maybe I could be wrong. He sets Riley up to, <laughs> to be killed by putting him in an area where no one is hardly there. He kind of sets him up as bait. Is 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 that everybody's thought on the episode? Did he set him up? Did he set him up as bait, 
or did he put him there because he thought nobody would try to get to him while he's down there? I don't know. I think Kirk sent him up as bait, which I highly have a problem with. But anyway, we see uh, an attempt is made on Riley's life as well as an attempt is made on Kirk's life. And this kind of the point that drives Kirk over the limit. He's like, I have to know what's going on. I have to know what's going on. So he just straight up goes in there uh, uh, to Anton Caridian's quarters and, and and meets him for the first time and says, here, we need to do a voice print analysis on you right now. Are you Adrian Kodos? Kodos made a decision of life and death. Some had to die that others might live. You're a man of decision, Captain. You ought to understand that. All I understand is that 4,000 people were needlessly butchered. In order to save 4,000 others. And if the supply ships hadn't come earlier than expected, this Cotus of yours might have gone down in history as a great hero. But he didn't. And history has made its judgment. You're so sure that I'm Cotus. Why not kill me now? Let bloody vengeance take its final course. See what difference it makes to this universe of yours. Those beautiful words, well acted, change nothing. No, I suppose not. They're merely tools. Like the ship of yours. There are no previous records to Anton Caridian prior to 20 years ago. Blood thins. Body fails. And one is finally grateful for a failing memory. I no longer treasure life, not even my own. I am tired. The past is a blank. You get everything you wanted, Captain Kirk. If I had gotten everything I wanted, you might not walk out of this room alive. In a great, great scene, man. I love this episode. The acting in it is it's so excellent. And there's there's many Shakespearean references that I have no idea because I'm not a Shakespeare person, which kind of tie in back and forth, including like the whole title of the episode, The Conscious of the King, which is which is from Hamlet. Uh, which I guess I should know that, but be that as it may, we find out where, in fact, these deaths that have been happening, the attempted death on Riley, the death of uh, Thomas Layton on the planet uh, were not due to Kodos himself uh, or Caridian himself, but it was due to his daughter, his daughter. And 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 she has been conspiring to kill all the people who can identify her father, which in Kirk's confrontation, we pretty much get almost 100% confirmation that he is Adrian Kodos. But we learned that it's his daughter, Lenore, who has been killing anybody who can identify her father as Adrian Kodos. And it's just as a great moment at the end when when all the things and this is such a parent thing in their kids and thinking about how you want your kids to be. So all the things that 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 Kodos doesn't want his daughter to be she becomes because she thinks she's trying to please him and he doesn't want any more blood on his hands and she is definitely bringing that into fruition and he has moved on from that and trying to establish a life where he is free of that but his daughter is is killing anybody who can identify him as adrian kodos and that's just a really harsh lesson and at, uh, yeah, really harsh lesson. And just to wrap it up at the end, um, uh, Lenore makes another attempt to kill Kirk and to wrap things up, to bring things full circle. Kodos 
is the one who steps in front of Kirk and takes the phase of fire and actually dies. So, wow, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. Wrapping things up. Just a good, well thought out story all around. Even like I said, even the the TOS episode on its own is just phenomenal. It's one of my favorite Star TOS Star Trek episodes. Just phenomenal. Now, as far as the book, I think the book is is okay, but I think you need this episode to make the book matter. You know, coming from a Star Trek Discovery point of view, I don't think this book alone will will, will give you enough joy. I think you have to watch this episode. Uh, again, the ep- episode can survive on its own, but for that to make meaning or make sense for the book to make sense, you need to watch this episode. It's like start Star Wars versus the prequels, you know. The prequels are okay, but they don't matter anything unless you really know, um, unless you've seen Star Wars. At least I think that's the case. Maybe, <laughs> maybe people who grew up in the prequel era will, will disagree. I don't know. Anyway, guys, I think that's it for today. Uh, if you want to leave us feedback, please send feedback into fans at discussingtrek.com. What do you guys think about the conscience of the king? What do you think about drastic measures? Did it live up to your expectations? Are we excited for more Star Trek Discovery novels? Are we? I guess next we have the Star Trek Discovery third book tie-in, Fear Itself, featuring Saru on the cover. So that could be interesting. Maybe that's going to be the first one with no with no ties to um, TOS. Maybe, but I doubt it. It should be. It should be fun. It should be fun. I'm ready for it. Uh, we'll be redoing that one next and if you're listening to this first, you are part of um, our Patreon community, which you can, again, as we mentioned up top, you can simply follow us on Patreon to get hint at things early, exclusive things that we only put on Patreon. If you are a patron, you would be able to get this as well as other things that are timed exclusive. So you get it a week before everybody else. So if you're interested and you want to, again, just contribute a dollar, uh, we would love to have you on our Patreon community at patreon.com slash discussing Trek as well. As check us out on YouTube channel, which uh, you can find at youtube.discussingtrek.com. And again, we would love for you to, to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend if you like us and and uh, let's just get the ball rolling and build up this community because this podcast is not about us. It's about the community. It's about interaction. Again, we want you to send in emails and follow us on various social medias. So uh, we just like to build and grow this community because we're not experts and we want to have a sounding board with each of us to talk about the things we love about Star Trek and Star Trek Discovery. So, guys, that's it for today. Um, to all my co-hosts who are not here today, uh, hopefully we'll get them back on the next episode. And uh, until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.